If you have Bibles or a device, you can get to Mark chapter 8, probably lots of different ways, turn or tap. This story should sound very familiar to many of us. If you've been journeying with us through our study in the gospel of Mark, it'll sound extra familiar, but it is one of the most well-known miracles that Jesus ever performed. In fact, it's very similar to one we've already looked at in Mark chapter 6, but we're in Mark chapter 8 in the first 13 verses, and then I'll skip just, a, just over to verse 14 through 21 if you want to follow along. Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. During those days, another large crowd gathered, but since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse along the way, because some of them have come from a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground, and when he had taken the seven loaves, and had given thanks. He broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present. Having sent them away, Jesus got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. To skip a little bit down to verse 14. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread. Seems like that was an oversight. Except for this one loaf that they had with them on the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It's because we have no bread. But aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Uh, Twelve, they replied. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Seven, they answered. He said to them, do you still not understand? Let's pause there and look at this account. Two chapters earlier... This is where a hard copy Bible might come in handy over a phone. If you flip over to Mark chapter 6 and, and keep a finger there, it may just be one page depending on uh, the size of your text. But in Mark chapter 6 verse 31 and following, Jesus performs almost this identical ministry that we just read in detail, multiplying bread and fish abundantly for 5,000 who have assembled and are in a remote place. Mark is not a very long book. In fact, we might call it a letter more than a book, the account of Jesus' life and ministry, his death and his resurrection. Jesus did so much more than we have written in this letter. We know that. When, when he travels through a region and he heals and welcomes all who come to him, sometimes that's the phraseology that Mark uses, and then he highlights specific encounters and examples of his, of his healing, of his ministry. The Apostle John, at the end of his gospel, said, if everything that Jesus did was recorded, the world would break. There wouldn't be enough room to contain it all. 
Certainly, we read through the Gospels and these accounts and through Mark, and it it raises just as many questions as it gives us answers. There's so much more that we want to know and know in detail, and we're not told. Why then does Mark articulate in detail a very similar event that just happened a chapter and a half earlier? There must be a reason for that. Let's quickly look at the similarities. I'll highlight six, and there's others with some differences that may jump out as we look at the similarities. I won't press on those today. Number one, a large crowd has assembled both times. They're flocking to Jesus like sheep to a shepherd. He's a very attractive person, not just for his wisdom and his teaching, but for now what he offers in welcoming all and healing all. Give or take, 4,000 or so have gathered this time. Second, they're in a quiet place, a remote place. We see that same word in the Greek, the eremon. It's the wilderness. It's the place that Jesus was, was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. For the Jewish hearers, it, it was the wilderness that reminded them of their history, of Israel's 40 years, wandering in the wilderness, dependent upon God for his sustaining grace and for his daily provision of the manna. They are in the same place. They are in the eremon, the place where Jesus would often withdraw privately to commune with God. Number three, Jesus' response to the people, to the crowds, is identical in both accounts. Deep, surprising, amazing compassion for these sheep without a shepherd. The disciples' response is the same in both accounts. Surprisingly, they struggle to grasp the kingdom perspective and the compassion of Jesus. Both times, they seem to have a worldly perspective. It's remote. We're a long ways away from provision. It's getting late. We don't have enough. Send them away. Both times, Jesus overcomes not only the meager provisions, but the meager faith, and he hosts a feast. And six, all were satisfied. All were satisfied And there were basketfuls of leftovers at the end of this feast. We see such similarities through the accounts. Certainly, it highlights that Jesus was very consistent in his ministry, in his heart, unchanging. Ministering in the same kinds of ways, teaching the same kinds of kingdom themes, welcoming and pursuing all peoples, especially the outcast, the marginalized, the last and the least ones. And to be sure, for this Miraculous multiplication meal to happen a second time is worth noting. Of course, Mark would highlight that it happened yet again, but why with such similar detail? Wouldn't it have been easier, as he does in other times, to summarize, to say something like, and in the same way, Jesus once again surprised them all, taking bread and fish and multiplying and feeding the crowds. Would that not have been sufficient still to highlight that Jesus is unchanging in his generosity and his compassion for all people? So what is Mark's point then in once again going through the very same details? It's almost as if he thinks it's possible that we, disciples or followers of Jesus, could miss the point, could fail to grasp it, that we perhaps have not applied the message and applied the work of the kingdom the way we were intended to. Perhaps that is Mark's primary point. It is what he's been doing throughout the entire letter, highlighting what the kingdom of God looks like as Jesus brings it 
to earth and what it means to respond to the kingdom, to walk in it and to extend it wherever we go. And how many people fail to grasp it. Even those closest to him still struggle to walk in it, to see, to understand, and to engage, to initiate the kingdom work in the way that he would expect them to, by now, grasp. You'll hear some of that exasperation in that second part as he interacts with the disciples on the boat. Once again, do you still not understand? Do you still not see? Do you still not grasp the kingdom reality of what I'm in I'm revealing it to you. For Mark, this seems to be a primary picture of what the kingdom of God is like. It is abundant. It is surprising. The king is compassionate and gracious, patient, welcoming, and he provides abundantly when we least expect it. And yet we should come to expect his abundant provision. Does proclaiming this message ever get old? Perhaps Mark couldn't resist saying it once again. Once again, Jesus surprises us with his abundant provision. The Apostle John would say it this way, recording Jesus' words in John 10.10, I have come to give life and to give life to the full, to bring life abundantly. This should no longer be surprising. This does not mean that in this world we will not have lean times, drought times, famine times, hard things to endure. Walking through a a worldwide pandemic is certainly one of them. But God's abundant provision, the nature of his grace and the nature of his kingdom is completely counter to that. It is not his creation or recreation. It is not his intention or desire. God's heart is to give abundantly, superfluously, in all ways, and sometimes surprisingly to us. But we see the world of hurt and brokenness and loss and not enough. We easily, our heart easily, and our mind joins with the disciples that says, there's not enough, God. We're in a remote place. We're in a desert time. We feel it. Where is the provision going to come from? Where is today's bread or tomorrow's bread? And so we believe in, and we believe that we live in, and really have created a world of scarcity, a perspective that there will not be enough. And so therefore, we must work hard, strive, seize as much as we can, secure it where possible. Certainly don't share it, because it may run out. There may not be enough. And that is not the message of the kingdom. The provisions, even if they seem meager, are not to be parsed out, divvied up, and divided but meant to be multiplied miraculously. That's the way of the kingdom. And this abundant kingdom is for all peoples. Clearly, this is Mark's intended message. As the kingdom is breaking out to all peoples, Jesus had just been traveling through the region of Tyre and Sidon, some of the last and least likely places for God to pursue, to bring his presence, to bring his love, compassion, healing, and grace. There was such division between this region and these peoples and the Jewish people. And here's this Jewish rabbi ministering, reaching, pursuing, welcoming. And in this same region of the Decapolis, amongst non-Jews, once again, his abundant provision comes for all peoples. Certainly, Mark would highlight that, that the kingdom is for all. 
what the, what the kingdom of God looks like. God reve- Jesus reveals it. He shows us in his words, his deeds, his actions. Mark highlights this as a primary picture where bread and provision were communing together, eating with one another is such a picture of the kingdom of God, of communion with him and with others. It's our future hope and future picture of gathering together in his eternal kingdom in a feast, like a never-ending wedding banquet. Now, how do we walk in that? How do we lean into it, engage it, initiate it, respond to it? This is where the disciples continue to struggle And Mark is willing to highlight that for us all to see. You would think by now, if these are the ones that are going to be the sent ones, the apostles, by the time this account was written, they're already ministering and at work from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the ends of the earth, proclaiming who Jesus is. And now on full display is their meager faith, their doubts, their stumbling, their not grasping. It's for all to see. I think it's easy to read this if you're a follower of Jesus and and want to side more with Jesus and be exasperated with the disciples. You join Jesus in the boat saying, can you still not understand? How do you still not see? I mean, the first time it it makes sense. We can excuse them for not imagining that Jesus was going to take a few loaves of bread and a few fish and feed 5,000 people in, in the middle of nowhere. But now that this happens, and I think Mark puts it so closely to the first with just a small gap in between, once again, the same circumstances are in place and the disciples don't immediately jump at the opportunity to say, Jesus, will you do it again? You did it before, will you do it again? Their faith is not there. It's as if Jesus gave them every opportunity to initiate the miraculous work, to request it, to potentially even be the ones breaking the bread and praying over it and starting to distribute and see it multiplied while Jesus watched them. Is that not the way of discipleship? We have a longer account of Jesus engaging the disciples here than we did back in chapter six. He says, I have compassion for these people, just as he did before. They've been with us three days now and have nothing to eat. Looking around to the disciples, making eye contact. If I send them home now, they're going to fall, they're going to faint and fall down and collapse because they've come from a long ways. They are hungry. And it's crickets, isn't it? And James leans to John and says, why is Jesus being so weird? And Peter blurts out, where in this remote place, this wilderness, could we possibly get enough bread to feed all these people? And Jesus, hand to forehead. (laughs) Yes, where in the world, in this wilderness place, could possibly enough bread be provided almost out of nowhere to feed the hungry, even in excess? Do you not know your story? Do you not know your history? Do you not remember last month? It may have been a number of months or even a year, but nonetheless, this seemingly short-term or long-term memory loss that Jesus calls eyes that cannot see and a heart that is not yet perceiving the kingdom of God. I I believe Jesus is, is inviting them to initiate the work. It's the way of discipleship, of any kind of discipleship and apprenticeship. 
the master does while the apprentice watches. That may take some time, but pretty soon the master says, help me. The master does, but the apprentice helps. And the next step is, okay, you start, you go, and I will be with you. I will help you. And pretty soon the apprentice is doing the work and the master is watching, not needing to help because it's being complete. Because eventually the apprentice must become the leader, must become the expert. This is the way that Jesus always worked. It's the way of our discipleship. It's the way we would be taught to disciple others who come along. Jesus has already done this very same thing. You have the bread. You have the fish. What did you see me do? I've already given you my authority in the kingdom to do my works. And even if that feels like too much of a stretch, that he couldn't possibly have imagined these 12 men to actually take the bread, start breaking it and passing it out, and just seeing if it would multiply, well, I think that's very likely what he was expecting. He was there with them. But even if he was going to be the one to again take and break and give, he clearly expected them to initiate. In Mark chapter 6, it's the first day. After a long day, they were exhausted. But they said, Jesus, it's late. There's not enough food. These people are hungry. Send them away into the towns to eat. One day, day one, there's now three days of, of not eating, and Jesus does not initiate. He is waiting for them. It should have been day one that they came to him and said, Jesus, here we are again. We've got these few, few would you do it again? Can you do that multiplication thingy? He teed it right up for them. If we're quick to point the finger or shake our heads at their lack of faith or lack of initiation, then we prove we're, we believe we're more like Jesus than we are his disciples. Are we there? Do we see the kingdom that way? Are we walking in that kind of faith, that kind of expectation, taking that kind of initiative to the works we see around us when there is hunger and thirst, when there is hurt and want? Are we initiating or are we simply praying? And I don't, don't mishear me. We should be praying, but praying that God would come in and do something about this. Or as he said, I've shown you the way. I've given you my authority. Walk in faith and see the multiplication of my kingdom as you take those steps, as you start to break and share. Changing Growing is hard and often so slow. Don't you just want to get there already? Especially for you parents that have young kids, just get there. And we, like children, following a father, just get there. Now, do not miss that Jesus, even with his exasperation to his disciples, still invites them into the ministry, still gives them the resources to go and bless, to go and share. That's his amazing grace. And certainly he does the same for us. Jesus invited all who would follow him into a lifestyle of repentance. It's metanoia in the Greek. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. This isn't the kind of repentance that confesses our sin and lays down our sin and finds forgiveness. So that is a part of the gospel message. That anything, all things can be forgiven and received in Jesus, in the love of God and the grace of his mercy. 
But the, this kind of repentance is a change of scene, a change of thinking. It's see rightly, see anew, see correctly, and let your life follow a new path. That's the lifestyle of repentance. And we need a daily walk in that. Jesus, help me see your kingdom now. Let me see your kingdom here. I see with worldly eyes. I respond in worldly ways. I want to see you. And I want to repent of that and walk towards you in your kingdom, with you, extending it wherever you might send. He's still the one that does the multiplication. We cannot. But we can take and receive, break and give, and watch what he will do. Jesus has shown us and shared with us his abundance in so many ways, truly. This first time he said to the disciples, you give them something to eat. This time I believe he says, you go and initiate. It's your turn to give. It's your turn to walk in the kingdom. He is the God of not only daily bread, but abundant life. And Jesus said in John 6, I am the bread of life. God has given us an abundance, and we must be his stewards. He expects us to grow in every way as his disciples. They had a long ways to grow. So do we. But by his grace, it is possible. But let's take it one step deeper. Not only to the provisions that he's given us that we would pray over and say, God, take and multiply as we walk in your generosity. I believe he's calling his disciples more and more to give ourselves away. When Jesus takes this bread and when he took the bread around the Passover meal, what did he do? He broke it, gave thanks. He broke it and he distributed it. Here it multiplies. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. We are now called his, his body. As he took the bread and said, this is my body broken and distributed it, we are called his body now on earth. Could we be bold enough and humble enough to say to God, take us, break us, give us to a needy world that we might be your body and your life abundantly for all. I don't think it's a coincidence, maybe a God incident, that here we are in this passage after concluding 13 months of food truck, of distribution of actual food, praying all along. We know there are the hungry amongst us, but hungry for so much more than just a hot meal, hungry for value, hungry for place, hungry for community, hungry for dignity and honor hungry for healing and wholeness. And you've been able to provide that as you've just welcomed, as you've loved, as you've asked questions, and as you've been present and consistent. 4,000 plus 5,000, around 9,000. And here we are giving away around nine or 10,000 meals in the course of a year. God did the multiplication work. And if, I think if any of us as a team we're told, you give them something to eat, and for 13 months, we would have said, where would the resources come from? We do not have that capacity, but God has multiplied. We certainly have prayed and been stretched and sacrificed. We have doubted and wondered and questioned, but we have grown. Our faith has grown. Many have asked why. 
Many have shaken their heads at the cost. The cost, that, what kind of impact has that possibly made? I've had friends who are pastors ask me how we are evangelizing and discipling these that come. How many are coming to your church now is the question. And I say we are loving and living in the kingdom of Jesus as we extend this grace and this compassion. We are sharing our lives and that is a church. I know that's not what they mean and not the answer they're looking for. It's a transactional mindset, not a kingdom one. Why have we done this? We have done this so we can share in the rich blessings of the abundant kingdom of God. When we choose to represent Jesus, we actually bring God's kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. By giving, we actually begin living in the abundant life Jesus promises. Do you want to be a community that does the sorts of things that Jesus does, sharing plenty without asking anything in return? Well done, church. Now, as we transition to building tiny homes, another ministry that has come to us through a generous donor who said, I feel compelled to give one home a month for the upcoming year. But I need help building it. There's people that will build it. Would you build it, though, with us? We have the opportunity to give walls away. As we are desiring to be a church without walls, I'm coming back indoors, around walls. We say, how do we keep the heartbeat alive that all people can draw near to Jesus, that all would be welcome, and that ultimately... We wouldn't be confined by walls, but we would see beyond ourselves and beyond the boundaries of our property. So we get to give walls away this upcoming year. I think for the past year, we've made a small impact, maybe a bigger impact than we'll ever know, but it's felt like a small impact in a whole lot of people's lives. And in this coming year, by building 12 homes at least, we have the opportunity to make a massive impact in a few people's lives. Not giving a meal may lead to someone fainting. Not having a home may lead to death. We actually have the opportunity to bring life, and we trust God for that provision and where and how he may use that. Have we learned, have we grown in faith as we are trying to take steps to initiate his kingdom work? Let's pray for the multiplication of it. And we invite you, I invite you to join us, to give, to serve, to pray, whether you can swing a hammer, cut a board, paint a wall, or simply be an encouraging voice. There'll be other needs that will arise as we go, as we're learning as we go, what that will take, how to build a tiny home in the middle of winter. We've done other things that are stretching and hard in the middle of winter. We think we can do this one, but we're trusting God one step at a time. We know there'll be other needs that arise, both supplies that could be given, but also relationships that we pray can be built in this way. Continue to be the church as we move into a new season in so many ways. Let me close with a reading from Psalm 107, verse 4 and following. This is a psalm that is proclaiming what God's kingdom looks like. It's both a, a present psalm and a reflective psalm of God's kingdom at work amongst his people, but it's also a promise. It's a promise of what the kingdom does and is always, all times. 
Psalm 107, 4 and following. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty. Their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for all people. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. We can both pray this as individuals where we sense that hunger and that thirst for more, whatever the more is in your life that you're desperate for. We have a God that leads on the straight way, that provides abundantly. It's his heart and his kingdom. And we can also lean into this prayer on the behalf of loved ones, of friends, of neighbors, of coworkers, of just our community and even our world that is in desperate need, is hungry and thirsty and longing for more in so many ways. Would you join me as I pray, but pray and make that a personal prayer as we begin to respond to God's word and call. Heavenly Father, holy is your name. It's your kingdom come and your will be done that we are longing for, that we are after. Here on earth as it is in heaven, thank you for this picture. Thank you for the reminder of your abundant kingdom. Thank you that you are unchanging, that your heart is to always provide. Give us today our daily bread. It's all that we need, Lord. Help us to trust you for that. And yet so often, and for so many of us, you have poured out in abundance beyond what we could imagine. I pray that we do not live into a scarcity mindset as if there's not enough, as if there's a limit in your kingdom, as if we must secure and seize control. That we, with open hands, would take what you have given, be willing to even to break it, and see you multiply it. We also pray humbly and perhaps boldly that you would take us, break us as your body, and somehow as your kingdom agents, your provision for this world, to extend it, to represent you, to do the things that Jesus did, asking nothing in return, but to make you known and glorified and famous. Help us be with ready hearts and also ready lips to proclaim the hope with, with which we live. Would you give us and fill us with hope, we pray. Would you give an abundance to each one according to their needs and by the measure of faith today. We seek to respond to you, to proclaim you, to worship you, to know you, to walk with you into the world and into the places that you are calling us and leading us. Thank you for the abundance you have given, the multiplication in this food truck Fridays, the ability to care for, to meet, to laugh with, to cry with, to pray with, to extend your hand of mercy and grace, to enjoy meals together. And as we transition, we pray now, multiply our meager efforts, grow our meager faith, that you might make impact beyond what we can imagine, that you would be about saving lives as you always have been, and we would be able to partner with you. Unto your glory, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Catherine, Tommy, Brent, would you come and 
lead us in a time to respond. This is a regular rhythm for us to hear God's word, hopefully through the spirit, to be stirred in heart and to give space to respond, to do that work of response. Whether you continue to pray internally, whether you share communion with one another, whether you sing aloud these prayers, reflect, meditate. Our world is crazy and nuts and probably as so is your schedule. We need these moments of pause and dwelling, communing with God and one another. And as we take communion, if you have the elements, the little piece of bread and the cup that should have powerful imagery once again and renewed for us, Jesus took his life and broke it and gave it to us. As we partake, not only in gratitude and remembrance of what God has done, how he's forgiven, how he's poured out his grace, how he's invited us into his kingdom, and again, it's new today, we also have hope for tomorrow and a longing for what is to come. This is a meager physical meal, but it's a reminder of his sustaining grace and spiritual fullness that he gives to us in every way, what it means to walk in and live in his kingdom. So receive when you are ready, individually or as families, and let's respond. Let's pray. Take us, Lord. Break us and give us to a needy world. Amen.